Well, good morning and welcome to Crossroads Church. Can we give it up for the team for leading us in worship today? Yeah, great, great job. They'll be with us in a little bit as we continue in worship music uh, a little bit later. I want to welcome uh, all of you here to our Thornton campus, as well as those of you watching online at crossroadsabc.live, as well as Fort Lupton. If you are brand new with us, welcome uh, to Crossroads Church. I'm so glad that you've decided to spend this hour with us as we worship Jesus, uh, our Lord and our Savior. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Matt Manning. I'm uh, the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, and today uh, we find ourselves at the very end of a series that we've been in for five weeks that we've been calling MVP, where we've been really looking at life's purpose and understanding our purpose in life. And if you've been with us from the very beginning, then you know that really this series all branches out of a really famous Bible verse in Proverbs 29:18, where the writer writes these words to us, where there is no vision, the people perish. And the understanding of the word perish there is not a physical death, but rather death of hopes, death of aspirations. The way that we've been thinking through it is like this, that where there is no vision for your family, your marriage suffers and your kids struggle. Where there is no vision for your finances, you you live paycheck to paycheck rather than finding freedom. Where there's no vision for your vocation, your job, you just punch the clock instead of making a difference. Where there is no vision for your faith in life, you will wander instead of finding hope. Where there is no vision, people perish. They suffer, they burn out, they struggle, they just live to survive rather than thrive. And as we discovered over these last couple of weeks, the real life tragedy in all of this is for most of us, for most of us, we just kind of move through life hoping that tomorrow will be better than today. No plans, no visions, no dreams. Just trying to live this life, surviving rather than truly living. And maybe the thing that we're missing most in our life is a God-sized dream, is a divine dream, a purpose for your life. And so over the last few weeks, we've intentionally walked through on our Sundays what it looks like to find purpose in our lives. And we've said uh, over and over again over the last couple of weeks that purpose is the sweet spot of our passion, our giftings, and our experience. That's where we find our purpose. That is that our sweet spot, that is the convergence of the sweet spot between our passions, that is the things that excite us, the things that make us excited, the things that light fires in our souls. But passion is also those things that when we look at the world, we go, it can't be this way. It's the things that wreck us in our lives. That's our passion. Our experiences are the things in our life, the good seasons, the bad seasons, those moments, both positive and negative, that have impacted our lives in such a way that we are who we are because of those spaces and those moments and those experiences. And that there's maybe no greater truth than what Chris laid on us last week, that your past experiences in your life, whether positive or negative, absolutely will either prevent you or propel you into the vision that God has for you in your life. Our giftings are those skills and those abilities, those things that we look at in our lives and we go, man, we're pretty good at this. Not only do I love it, but I'm actually good at doing this. Where those three things converge, passions, giftings, and experience, is where we find our purpose. It's when those three things converge where we can look up and we can go, God, like I think I have a dream for my life, that that you have this, this purpose for my life, and I think it is, how would you answer that question? God, you have purpose for my life, and I think it is. See, how you answer that question not only impacts 
your life, but others' lives around you. Now, one of the coolest illustrations that I can give about the impact of our dreams and our purpose is actually what we're participating in right now. Let me explain. That 60 years ago this summer, a group of faithful men and women met together at 840 Niver Avenue in Denver with a big dream to start a church in the most north part of Denver, North Glen, Colorado, during that time, in order that they might start a church. See, this big dream was to start a church in North Glen where people could come and find Jesus, know Jesus, and grow in Jesus. On June 1961, this church, out of that dream, was born. After those early years, the generation that I call the builders started attending this church in the late 60s, 70s, even early 80s. They were regular people with regular jobs, but they understood their purpose. And as they looked out at their passions, their experiences, and their giftings, they began to take the dream of this church into a reality. That in every way, we stand on the shoulders of them. They are the true MVPs of this church. That they are still here, many of them are now in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, rooting this church on, serving, wanting people to come and see and know Jesus. In every way, we stand on their shoulders as beneficiaries of the great work that God does in a handful of people who understand their purpose. Listen. This week in our community groups, we're going to give you time and space to work this out in tangible ways. That we're going to apply this in tangible ways where you can figure out and to see the purpose that God has for your life and how fearfully and wonderfully made you are. But as we today gather together and kind of put a bow on this MVP series, very easily, very easily, we could walk away having found our purpose in understanding our passions and our giftings and our experiences. We could find our purpose, we could have accomplished the goal, and yet missed the bigger picture. See, there's an inherent danger in doing a series like this on finding purpose. And I know for some of you, you go, no, no, Matt, this has like been the best series that I've ever been a part of. Like, like it's had so much impact on my life. And I've heard from dozens of you with that story. And in all of that, I give God praise. I give God the glory that we want people living in purpose. We want people knowing and understanding the divine dream that they have, that God has for them in their life. We want all of that. But here's the danger. If you walk away thinking that personal vision is the core of your life, that personal vision is the core specifically of the Christian life, then you've missed it and we led you astray. See, while I long for every single one of us to engage in a life of purpose, thriving, flourishing, doing great works for God, that cannot define us. Sky Jathani is a pastor, regular pastor here in the United States. He wrote a great book called With, and in his book, he wrote these words. It says, cutting open the life for God cosmic apple reveals a mission at the core. For some great goal, understood to be initiated by God and carried forward by us, defines everything and everyone. An individual is either on the mission, the object of the mission, an obstacle to the mission, an aid to the mission, or someone who is just lazy and should be on mission. As a result, we come to view ourselves entirely based on what we are able to accomplish on God's behalf. See, come on. We've all heard it said that we're supposed to do things for God, 
that we're supposed to live lives for God. But what if living for God isn't actually what God wants most? What if there was a better way? See, Jathani's point is that living for God is huge. In fact, it should dominate our lives, but it should not define our lives. That your life, listen to this, your life is not defined by what you do for God, but rather your life is defined by being with God. That those prepositions are huge, for and with, and we cannot mix those up. In fact, Jesus makes this so clear in Matthew chapter seven for us. In Matthew chapter seven, we have what's called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. It's this great teaching of Jesus where he's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, when it comes to the kingdom of God, Jesus is speaking to us and he's saying, in essence, this is what it looks like to be a believer. This is what it, it means to be a follower of mine, that this is what you're supposed to be about as you live in this world for me. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And he gets to the very end of this teaching, and he begins to speak of this illustration. And he's talking about a group of people who obviously admire Jesus, that they're, that they're trying their best to live for Jesus. In fact, the story goes like this, that they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In other words, come on, Jesus. We did some really cool stuff for you. I mean, look at all of the things of our lives. I mean, we got some stuff done. Casting out demons, great things. This is like best for God lives out there. And Jesus responds to these guys in the most unique and maybe horrifying way. Look what he says. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And we look at this verse in shock, don't we? Because for the reality of all of us, we go, we go no, that's the pinnacle. Living a life for God, doing great things for God. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? And the crazy thing about it is that Jesus he never disputes that they did great things. Never in the story does he go, <laughs> it wasn't like great things, it was just like subpar things. So we can just, no, like it's a foregone conclusion that these people did great things in the name of God. They did great things for God. But here's what Jesus was getting at and what he wants us to see. That when we boil the sum total of our life down to vision and purpose, a really good thing, what we're really doing is saying this, God, how can I prove to you that my life is worth something? How can I show you that my life is valuable? See, there's an old movie in the 1980s called Chariots of Fire. Anybody remember Chariots of Fire? Yeah, you can just hit a heart online if you remember it, yeah. If you've seen the movie, great movie, one of the main characters is an Olympic sprinter, and during a part of the movie, he's asked why he runs. And if you've seen the movie, it's, it's kind of a memorable line. He says, I don't run because I love it. I run because I'm an addict. Later on in the movie, this main character is in a scene where he's about to run the 100-meter dash. And he says this line, I'm forever in pursuit 
and I don't even know what I'm chasing. I'll raise my eyes, look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my very existence. Will I? We've all had moments of that in our life, haven't we? Where we've wondered if our lives really matter. And for a moment when we do great things, there's this excitement and this joy and this happiness that fills our lives. And, and for a moment, however brief it may be, we feel like we've arrived, been included, accepted, proved our worthiness. But all of us have experienced the other side of that, how, how fleeting that moment is. And then like addicts, we look for the next great thing in order that we might experience that feeling again. And so if we've gathered over these last five weeks hoping to find purpose so that we can prove our worth to others or even to God, if that's meaningful to you, if that's the reason that we've gathered, then we've simply missed it. Because when it comes to our Heavenly Father, your value in this life is not derived by what you do for him, but rather who you are to him. And while I would argue that living a life of purpose that God calls us to is hugely important in our lives. I mean, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in Ephesians 2 verse 10 these words. He said, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You were created for good works which God prepared before that beforehand, even before the foundations of the earth, that we should walk in them. I mean, this is the ultimate for God verse, that, that we were created for workmanship, that he set this out before us, that, that when it comes to, to living for God, this is, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing, but it cannot be what defines us. In fact, Paul knew this. And oftentimes we look at this verse in such a way and we take it out of the context and we forget the verses that precede it, which begins in verse 4, where Paul writes these words. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast." that when we look at this passage, it underscores two realities for us. The first is, is that every single one of us can have hope, that we're here because of Jesus, and we're here for Jesus. So the first thing that we see in these verses is this, is that primarily you were not created for a role or a job or a vacation. Primarily, we were created by a person to be in relationship with a person. That we were created for Jesus to be in relationship with Jesus. But at the end of the passage, we see that all of this happens. All of this happens so that in every instance, it's Jesus who gets the applause. That Jesus gets the encore. In the way that we say it in church world, that Jesus gets the glory. 
that God in his sovereignty takes work out of the equation so that none of us can stand back and go, look at all I've done, look how worthy I am. That none of us can come together and say, look at how all the value that I have. That in every single instance, God in his sovereignty has taken out the work in order that we might only look at the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us. That your life is not defined by what you do for God, but rather your life is defined by being with God. I mean, in these verses, just notice how Paul piles up the words here to make a deep and lasting impression on our souls. Paul says that God's purpose is to be gracious to those who are with Jesus. And just in case you and I, we miss the sweetness of God's grace, he has another word in there. He says, in kindness towards us. That he, that he pours out his grace in kindness towards us. Now, my question to you is this. If there was anyone in the universe, any being in the universe, who you could choose to be kind to you, to receive kindness from, who would it be? Would it be grandma? Would it be dad? Would it be mom? Would it be God? See, grandma or you or dad or mom, you may be able to think of a thousand things that would look like kindness to you. But then eventually your imagination runs out, doesn't it? God's imagination, it never runs out. And just in case you and I aren't getting it further, Paul piles on some more words. He uses the word riches. That God's purpose is to spend the riches of his grace in kindness on us because he loves us and he wants to be in relationship with us. And just in case we still don't get it, he adds the word immeasurable on top of that, that it's the immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness that's given to us. Now, right now, it leads us to the question of then going, well, how rich is God? Like, how immeasurable are his riches? Well, as of this morning, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world. He's worth $197 billion. That's with a B, all right? Now, let's just imagine for a moment that Uncle Elon sits down and he writes us a letter. He writes you a letter. And in the letter, he makes a commitment to you to spend all of his wealth, every bit of his wealth, to show you all of his kindness towards you, to show you how much he loves you. Show of hands, hearts online, how many would sign up for that? Yeah, just give me a Model S. I don't need an X, right? Like just, like, right? Like we would all sign up for that. We would all sign up for that. And yet the reality is, is as much as Uncle Elon is worth, that his wealth compared to God's is like a pebble of sand on the beaches of Hawaii. See, Paul says God intends for you that in the coming ages, how long's an age? How many are coming? All of them. In the coming ages, he might show you the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness to those of us who are with Jesus. And do you know why Paul says it that way? Because that's how long it would take for God to run out of fresh ideas about how to show you love that God wants you to know that today. That Jesus came into the world to die for sinners. 
so that God could be with us, that he would have a people who he could just lavish his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness on. See, by very nature, we were children of wrath. Of wrath. But in verse 4, Paul says, but God, but God, but God has promised eternal kindness on you instead. See, all of the scriptures point to this one reality. The sum total of your life is not what you do for God, but in knowing him and making him known. Knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. It's the singular focus of our lives. And what Paul realizes is that his divine dream, his calling, his understanding of purpose in this world was to be a missionary, and he was a great missionary. But Paul knew that that was nothing compared to the treasure that he had in Jesus. And when you read Ephesians or any other of the letters that Paul has written, the one thing that's made clear is made clear right here in Ephesians verse 4 and 9 that his relationship with Jesus grounded him and preceded his work for Jesus. That verses four through nine ground him in relationship and precedes the work that God was calling him to in verse 10. See, so many of us are trying to live lives proving that we're worthy of the life that we have, don't we? And if you've come to the end of wanting to live that way, Jesus says there is a better way. That there's a way to be reconciled to the God who created you. That there's a way to be in relationship with the God who loves you. That there's a way to be able to walk daily with the Savior who died for you. It's why we go to this table week after week. It's not because of juice and bread. It's not because of ritual. It's not because of method or obligation. It's celebration. That communion celebrates the gospel. That Jesus was broken for you. So that you may be alive with him. That Jesus was broken with you. Or for you so that you could experience the healing life with him. That he gave himself completely up so that we could have a better life, a new start, a fresh relationship with God. And so if you're tired of living the for God life, then I'm just gonna encourage you, even right now, to take out your cell phone and to type Jesus to the number on the screen that we have a group of people ready to walk you through what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus. Now, before we celebrate together one of the immeasurable riches that God has bestowed upon us, would you pray with me, Father? Lord, we come into your presence. Lord, knowing how exhausting at times it can be to simply live a life for you. God, every single one of us at one time or another, Lord, has tried to live our lives in such a way that we prove our worthiness, that we prove our value to you. 
and yet as we read through your scriptures, we, we come to realize that while it's important that we live for you, that what you actually desire most is that we would simply be with you, that we would be in relationship with you. And so God, I pray for those who have maybe never had that experience of knowing what it's like to, to walk with you through this life. Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would whisper to their souls even in this moment. God, I pray for those who have maybe walked with you for years or even decades. That so, we sometimes so get caught up in living for you, we forget that our satisfaction, our joy, is simply being in relationship with you. And so God, help us remember time and time again, Lord, that what comes first is being with you. And then what comes is living a life for you as you walk with us in that. So God, I thank you for your sacrifice as we remember now. It's in Jesus' name, amen. And so we remember together by eating the bread. And we take the cup, which represents Jesus' blood being poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, and we remember. As we move into time of worship in our music, if at any moment you need prayer and you're in-house here, you can just make your way to the back left We'll take you into the hall. We'll pray for you. If you're online, you can just click the button, and we have people available to pray with you at any time. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand as we celebrate in the singing of God's songs.